Good evening. Tonight we're going to be in Genesis 43. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Genesis 43. While you're turning there, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for letting us get together tonight and to um, sing songs um, to you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your word that we're about to dive into and to eat. It's our daily bread. Um, it sustains us, and uh, it's your word that carries us and teaches us and convicts us and encourages us, and we're so thankful we're able to do that tonight. It's been an interesting week, I'm sure, for most of us. Some have come in with different um, uh, weeks, some good, some bad. Um, Lord, we pray as we're halfway through that you would encourage us. Help us to see and remember why we're here, what we do for you, and why we do what we do for you. And um, the people around us, Lord, help us to see them. See them for who they really are, loved by you and maybe lost and maybe need encouraging. And Lord, we just help us to be good ambassadors. Help us to be refreshed tonight that we might go out into this lost and dying world and be your ambassadors. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we've been watching Jacob struggle with his lifelong quest to be um, obedient to God. Yeah, you can change your name from Jacob to Israel, but boy, Jacob shows up a lot. Um, and I know that to be true in my own life. There are moments where, man, I look just like Jesus. And I pat myself on the back, you know. But most of the time, I don't. That's all right, I'll wait. <laughs> She's sharing the post. That's a great reminder. Share the post. <laughs> We thought that delay was bad out there. We're working on that. We know there's a delay between here and out there, and we don't want to turn it down so low that they can't hear it, but we don't want it so loud that, uh, that you guys hear that double, and, and so we're working on that. Um, we're praying over and, and planning a new addition here just to add on 75 feet to the sanctuary and maybe taking 15 or 20 feet of this room and making two rooms out of it, you know, one for storage, one for a nursery and so on. And then if we put a hallway there, we can put double doors and that'll help isolate it a little bit. So anyway, we're working on it. Pray for us so we'd have wisdom as to how to put it all together and, um, and all that. But for now, we just have to kind of put up with us. Every time those doors open, you're going to hear kind of a little bit of a delay from them. So um, anyway, it's a good reminder. Thank you. Share that post. Remember what's happening when we do that. I know you're here in the room and you don't need to watch it anymore. You're, you're physically here, but the people that you used to share with are still gone and, and, and make sure that they can still get a hold of this teaching, that they can still hear the word of God wherever they may be. And people are tuning in that I never thought would tune in. I've got high school friends that I haven't, I've never gone to a reunion never interested in it really, but they're tuning in from all over the country saying, "Who's what's JD doing now, you know, kind of thing. And then they're seeing, that, well, he's the same goof, you know, but when the word of God hits them, you know, this goof can be used. And so um, it's exciting to see what's happening there. And so people that I never thought, you know, I was sharing it for you guys or sharing it for people that are in Maryville, but people that I never thought. So I encourage you, continue to do that. It's a simple thing to just share that. Um, and then they'll know it's on your feed and they may tune in, they may not. Either way, at least the opportunity's there for them. So I encourage you to do that. Chapter 43, as we watch Jacob now still starving in the famine, Joseph has been put into a position by God to bring his family to Israel or to, to Egypt. 
um, so that they can be protected through the famine, but also so that God can build a nation. He needs to build a nation. He needs a, a, enough people, um, first of all, to be a nation to occupy the land um, when they get taken into it. And it's going to take 400 years for that to happen. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a small story going on here that we're following, but there's a much bigger plan uh, working uh, which is the story of all of our lives. We recently lost, uh, we lost, God uh, it, uh, was blessed and is blessed by Ravi Zacharias, and it was a, a, a not a blow to us, because uh, out of Ravi's own mouth, as, as he's passed on, uh, uh, he said that God's work never dies, but God's workmen die all the time, basically. Now, it's a paraphrase, but He's right. You know, Billy Graham's gone, but that doesn't mean evangelism has stopped. You know, Chuck Smith's gone, but that doesn't mean expository teaching has ceased. Ravi may be gone, but apologetics lives on. And so um, there's a big plan going on that God's always working, but once in a while, he'll use us as a little part of that plan. And then we are extinguished. You know, we go on to be with the Lord, but the plan is still unfolding um, little things. You'd be surprised how each Sunday school teacher there touches some kid and, and, and hasn't touched them for five years or seven years or eight years. But on this Sunday, on this lesson, today's the day. Every one of us in this room had a day when Jesus became real to us. We're born again believers. There was a day when that happened. And on that day, someone was faithful to do what God had called them to do that day at that moment. And they may have been ministering to you for years. But on that day, when they didn't quit, when they didn't walk away, when they, when they continued on, knowing that they were going to get that funny look from you or funny look from me, you know, like, oh, here we go again, as usual. They didn't get that funny look, you know. God is at work. He's always at work. And so Jacob, God love him and does and has called him and has chosen him. He is just trying to figure out life. I'm trying to make it through until I die, as we all are. And in the process of doing so, Jacob wants to serve God the best he can. But he's, he's a little discombobulated right now. As you can tell, uh, his family is starving, uh, lost his favorite son. Shouldn't have had a favorite, but he had a favorite. His boys went in and lost another son, Simeon, when he went down to Egypt to grab food for the rest of the clan that's about 70 people so far, you know, feeding the grandkids and all that, making sure everybody's got food. Go get some food. They lost Simeon. Simeon's now in prison. Don't take any more people down there. We're just going to have to figure this out. Every time I send you boys off, I lose a, a son, just trying to figure it out. And so Jacob's going to try to figure it out again. Everybody's going to try to figure it out. Here's the good news. They don't have to figure it out. Joseph doesn't have to figure out why he's in prison. Jacob doesn't have to figure out why there's a famine because Jacob doesn't know. God hasn't told Jacob we're having a famine, but here's what I'm doing. Doesn't fill him in on all the plans. But I know this, and Jacob needs to know this, and I need to learn from this, that there is a plan. And when something extraordinary like this takes place, something like a famine that causes people to act unusual and in strange ways, in ways we never thought we'd have to act, hint, hint, God's at work. And I need to trust that and be excited and happy about that and be like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do today, but I know I'm going to serve my God however he allows me to today. And so Jacob's going to do that, figure it out. 
Now the famine, verse 1, was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when they had eaten up the grain which they had bought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back and buy us a little food. We didn't get enough. But Judah spoke to him, saying, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Remember, Joseph said, they don't know it's Joseph, their brother. Remember the story. Bring back this younger brother, Benjamin. That'll prove to me that you're not spies and you're actually all brothers from the same family. I want to see him. Joseph, of course, wants to see his little brother, Benjamin. So that's his way of doing it. Actually, he's trying to get the whole family down there. But they said, okay, we'll do it. We'll prove it. And they came back and Jacob says, no way, you're not taking him. Well, they said, hey, it's been a while. I don't know how long the food lasted. But Jacob says, you better go back and get some more food. Now, Jacob remembers. Jacob knows. He just doesn't want to say it out loud. And I think I see that. And I think we can see that in this chapter. He knows what has to happen. He knows Benjamin's got to go. He knows it's a risk. He knows it. But we're out of food. What do we do? We're in a tough spot. We're in a spot where we can't help ourselves. And it isn't a matter of planting more fields. or do, There's nothing to do. The, the land has failed us. The weather has failed us. The water has failed us. Everything that we rely upon has failed us. There's nothing I can do but go down to Egypt and get the food where I know it is. Those are tough places to be as I walk with the Lord. I've been in those places several times in my life. and Maybe you can count on your hand how many times you've been in that kind of place, that desperate, not where you had three options and you had to choose the best of the three, but where you literally had no other options but to completely, completely go in one direction. There was no other choice. I like that and I don't like that. And I don't know how to teach that to you. All I can say is I like the fact that I can actually find myself in a place where I'm like, okay, and we're going to read it here in a minute. I'm all in. There's no other way to be but all in. I've got to go in that direction, so here I go. Imagine a fire in a house, and there it is in the stairway downstairs, and there it is in that window and that window, and all I've got is that window, and it's two stories down, but it's either stay and perish or go out that window. I'd rather not be in the fire, to be honest with you, but at least I've got direction, you know? And so when I sit there and pray for God, oh God, give me direction, (laughs) I pray it never has to come to that all the time where he's got to put fires in every single window so that I know, okay, there's only one window without fire. That's the one I'm going through. But Jacob finds himself there, and I found myself there. And there's almost a peace about it, to be honest with you. It's the way I have to go. You've taken out all my other options that were bringing confusion into my life to where I have no confusion at all where I'm going tomorrow, but I don't want to go out that window. It's two stories down. We've got to go to Egypt. And Egypt wants my brother, wants my son Benjamin. And Egypt swallowed up two of my other sons. They said, don't you remember, Dad? That, said, that guy said we can't go down there and we, we cannot go down there. And if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. That was kind of a false claim. But we're not going unless we can take Benjamin. Otherwise, we're all going to get in trouble now. They're going to go. I mean, you're going to start to death or go. But that was, hey. So here's what Israel says. The Bible calls him Israel at this point, which means governed by God. 
And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? That's just Jacob working it out, talking himself into it. You can hear it. You can feel it, can't you? It's like, why did you guys even open your mouths about him? I mean, if you hadn't said anything, Benjamin wouldn't. And the brothers are, how are we supposed to know? And they say that. But they said to Jacob or Israel, the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we could possibly... Uh, And we told him according to these words, could we possibly have known that he would say, bring your brother down? It feels unjust, but Jacob doesn't know what he's saying. He's like, why did you even talk about us back here? Because he thought we were spies and we thought the only way we were getting home is, yeah, but if you hadn't, I mean, you could feel it. There's confusion, they're scared, they're stuck. They've only got one window to go through, and it's a tough one to choose, but you've got to do it. They're defensive with each other. They're arguing with one another, and they're in the, they're in the flesh. They're spiritual. They've been chosen by God, but Jacob and his sons, they're all in the flesh right now. They don't get it. No one's praying No one's being gracious or merciful. Everybody's defending themselves. Everybody's blaming themselves. The fingers are all pointing. It's divided. And it's ugly. And we get to watch it from God's perspective as we read God's word. We're way, way up high. And it's easy to see. But it's not so easy when you're on the ground and you can't see past the desert, you can't see past the drought, you can't see past the grief of losing all of these people that you love so dearly and the thought of losing more in the process. Feeling, imagine, as Jacob would feel, probably as any man would feel, how did I find myself putting my family in this position, you know? Maybe if I'd been a better dad or if I'd been a better husband, if I'd maybe been better with Laban. Maybe I should have never left. Maybe I should have tricked my brother. All the, all the decisions I've made have led up to this point, and it brings me grief. So Judah says in verse 8, he said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. Don't forget the grandkids. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if I had not lingered, surely by now, um, or if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. Dad, we're burning daylight here. I mean, we're arguing about this, going back and forth, but if we had not, I'd be back by now with the grain. I've had those conversations before with people. Oh, we can talk about it some more, or we could all just pick it up and move it. Well, I think we need a lever. Well, I think we need a dolly. I think we need, I think we need to get our hands on it, pick it up and move it. Let's go. I'll drag it myself. Judah's like, Dad, we got to do this. If I don't bring him back, you can, you can blame me. Well, that, oh, well, okay. You know, it doesn't help. Someone lose Benjamin, that's okay. No, it's not okay. He already blames him for Joseph. He already blames him for Simeon. And he's blaming him for this one too already. We're going to lose Benjamin in the process. That's your fault, guys, for even talking about him. It doesn't help. 
Now, why does Judah bring this up? Why does Judah step up and say these things? Why is it about him? Well, it's his brother, Simeon, that's down there. Remember the breakdown. You got Leah, who had six sons, and the six sons are Simeon, Reuben, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, and Judah. It's Judah. And so Judah's like, hey, look, I'm a, I've left my brother down there, and we don't know for how long, but I've left my brother down there. We need to go get him. I know you love Benjamin, you always have. I know you love Joseph, you always have. But Simeon's lost, and we care about Simeon. I mean, there's just, that competition is still there. So Jacob gives in. And their father Israel said to them, if so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land uh, in your vessels and carry down the present for, uh, carry down a present for the man. A little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Kind of the, the best jewels we have. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps, perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also, Benjamin, and arise and go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. That's what we were getting at earlier. I'm stuck. Ruth said it in chapter four. If I perish, I perish. Same kind of thought. Remember Ruth, the queen who was told to go in and defend the nation of Israel and expose herself as a Hebrew and to tell this king, don't you know that Mordecai has, or not, uh, uh, Haman is going to kill all the Jews and do it all. But she can't go into the king's chamber unless the king calls her in. To walk into the king's area without him calling you first is death. And so she tries to explain that to her cousin Mordecai and say, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not to, he goes, you were born for such a time as this. We all know that verse. But the one that comes out of her mouth is, I'm stuck. I'm going. If I perish, I perish. I mean, it's good. It's good to be that place. I'm going to tell my parents about Jesus, and if I perish, I perish. I'm going to tell my siblings about Jesus, and if I perish, I perish. I'm going to tell my boss about Jesus, and if I perish, I perish. What a great place to be. What an exciting place to be. And you know what? You may perish. It doesn't always turn out great. Benjamin always doesn't get to home. There is no Joseph always waiting there. The king doesn't always hand out the scepter and say, come on up, Ruth. I'm not going to kill you today. Come on up. I'd love to see and talk with you. Sometimes you die. Stories are written about these martyrs of the faith. If I go to China and I perish, I perish. A lot of them did. They all died on the Mission field. Keep that in mind as you count the cost about saying out loud in front of everybody, if I perish, I perish. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Jacob knows if we don't go get food, Benjamin's going to die. If we go get food, he may die. Not a great scenario, but he's choosing the lesser of two evils. He's got a little hope. Maybe we'll find mercy and grace from this man that you're going to stand before. Hmm. Now, this is typical Jacob, isn't it? Figuring out a plan. Bribing. Let's get some almonds and some pistachio nuts. Let's soften the blow. Maybe we can smooth things over. He's always that dealer. He did that for his brother Esau, didn't he? Sending him gifts and things like that. Esau, what's with all the gifts? I just thought, you know, just let you know. No hard feelings. Here's a little pocket change. 
were you? Jacob's still doing it. He doesn't know what to do. Now, I make fun of him. I give him a hard time about it. And I, and I do so because I, I, I guess I get him. You know, I understand that. Sometimes we do rely on our instincts. We rely on what we know, what we're accustomed to, what's worked in the past maybe for us, what the world does. Seems to work every place else. And so you kind of, hmm, maybe. And so I understand why he's doing that. But he has come to the place, and I think that's the most important line of this whole text, is if I am bereaved, I'm bereaved. If they keep him, they keep him. He's committed. Take Benjamin. Go. So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand, and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal, and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered. So now they're under the care of this custodian, this guy. He's a butler, so to speak, kind of bringing them in. That's where the conversation is going to take place. So then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now, when the men were afraid, because they were brought into Joseph's house, and they said, It is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may cause or make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. None of that's happened. The guy's showing hospitality. They heard him say, take him to my house. They're going to dine with me, kill, a, kill an animal. I mean, if you're going to take somebody captive and put them in prison and do all the things that these guys have suggested, wouldn't you just slap the cuffs on them? This guilt that we talked about last week is eating them up. It's overwhelming sometimes. They always assume that judgment is right around the corner, that the things that I've done in the past are just waiting to come back and bite me. Every step I take, oh, this is karma, basically is what they're saying. Do something bad, bad stuff's gonna happen to you. No, they don't understand. Karma's not real. Karma's made up. Karma's made up by guilty people. That's why they talk about karma. That's bad karma. You do something bad, it's gonna come back and bite you. Mm, that's not how God works. Anyway, this is what's going to happen to us. And that's what happens, the pooling of ignorance. Nobody's brought God into the conversation. Nobody's searched the scripture. Nobody knows the scripture. Nobody's forgiven. They're all feeling guilty. And so they're pooling their ignorance together. Here's what's going to happen. I think it's worse than that, Judah. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, oh, sir, so so guilty, right? Oh, sir, Uh, but, you know, before we go in, we indeed came down at first to buy food, remember us, Uh, but it happened, I'm going to add to God's word because it's funnier that way, you can throw it out. But it happened when we, when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight, so we have brought it back in our hand and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. That's like when you walk in the door and your kids come up, dad, 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 now before you go upstairs, you know, here's what happened. I'm confessing. Right now, I'm letting you know, you know, what happened. 
You can just hear these boys. They're terrified. They're absolutely terrified. This is overwhelming to them. I can't imagine what they must feel like. They're scared to death. They're saying what they need to say. They're confessing it. They're trying to get right. They're trying to make... And here's what the steward says. But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out to them. Who's this guy? Who is this guy? Who's talking about their God and the God of their fathers and letting them know, I want you to have peace. What a great message. At a time when they're terrified, scared, confessing, trying to figure out how they're going to get out of this, listening to dad's instructions, got to make sure that Benjamin stays close. Put him in the middle. I don't know. Um, if we need to run, we got to run. Uh, you know, all these things, they're going to take us, they're going to get us. They're just absolutely terrified. And the steward says, peace. I want you to have peace. Don't be afraid. And he's trying to explain something as the steward. This is really powerful, and I hope you understand this. As a steward of the house of Joseph, as he's bringing in these terrified guests, he wants them to let them know you're not being brought in for judgment. You're not going to be enslaved. You're going to sit down and have a meal. He's going to sup with you. He's going to dine with you. Please have peace. Guys, that is our responsibility. We're the stewards. We are bringing people, hopefully, into the house of Christ, into the presence of the Lord, and they're terrified. They don't know what to pray. They don't know what to say to him. They're terrified of him. They know what they've done. They're riddled with guilt. They have no idea how he's going to view them. Oh, they know how he's going to view them. He's going to take us and slap us, and he's going to throw... They've got it all figured out in their head how this is all going to go down when they meet him. And our responsibility is to say, no, I heard his tone when he was talking about you. You are loved with an everlasting love. He told me to kill the fatted calf. I mean, he, he's preparing a meal for you. He's treating you like guests, like royalty almost. And we need to reassure them. If this steward had said anything other than peace be with you, do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Payment's already been made. Who paid? Joseph doesn't have the authority to just give away grain. Who paid for their grain last time? Joseph paid for the grain. Joseph gave his money, what he had, all that he had, to Pharaoh, to make sure that grain was covered. There's no debt. You owe nothing. If you have money, you have money. That's just treasure in your hands. And they brought out the captive to him, Simeon. Guys, we need to represent God correctly. I don't get to hear Joseph's voice say, kill the fatted calf, bring them in. I want to dine with them, make sure they're comfortable, wash their feet, all the things I'm supposed to do as a host. I don't get to say, got it, boss. Sit down over there. No, back there. And you need to repent for, and you need to, and by all means. And you know what? I don't get to do any of that. None of it. My job as a steward of the word of God, of the gospel of Jesus Christ as a dispenser of 
what I've received freely from God is to absolutely freely give it away, to freely bring people. It's a beautiful picture of grace. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon. Here, let's, let's bring what we have. They're in the middle of a famine. To the richest guy in Egypt, they're going to bring him some pistachio nuts. I don't mean to make light of it, but Joseph's going to, it doesn't tell us how he received it. In fact, he doesn't even acknowledge the gift, but he received it. But it's like, thanks, thank you for the nuts, man. Those are, those are nice, you know? As he's got a pallet load, you know, what a picture of us, right? He's got angels around him all the time singing in heaven, holy, holy, holy. I mean, they got a chorus up there in heaven that's unbelievable. And here we are down here going, you know, and I heard some of you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and God says to you, I love that joyful noise. I absolutely love that joyful noise. Not looking at anybody specifically, but you know. And so we bring them our pistachio nuts, we bring them our gifts, we bring them our almonds, and it has nothing to do with the quality, the quantity, or anything like that. It has to do with, this is all we have, and I'm giving it all to you. And he receives it. Thank you. I love pistachio nuts. And they're shelled already. Thanks. Because nobody likes to do that. And if you do, well, no. <laughs> I'll get back into it here. So they got their gift ready. They got it ready. Um, then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that uh, he, they would eat, he would eat bread there, or that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present, which was in their hand, into the house, and bowed down before him to the earth, which is the most important part, by the way. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is, is he still alive? He's speaking through an interpreter still. They still don't know who he is. He's like, how's that old man? That old man you talked about? It's his dad. And they answered, your servant, our father, is in good health. He's, he's still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. So, you know, they're like this. And Joseph says, how's your dad? How's, he, how's that old man doing? He's, he's doing good. You know, they, and so they go back down into their position. Sweet moment, humbling moment, a, an appropriate moment. Now, Joseph doesn't demand it. He's not expecting it. He's not saying, you know, but there they are face down. Again, the dream comes back to his mind about the sheaves all bowing down to them. And it's appropriate because, first of all, it's God-ordained what's happening right now. It's appropriate that they're doing this. Because they need to humble themselves. They need to show themselves repentant. They need to show themselves unworthy of being in the presence of this great man because they should have never thrown him in the pit. They should have never sold him. They should have never done those things. But there they are. And guys, again, this is a picture of Israel and what they will do when they discover Jesus was their Messiah that they had rejected. We should have never thrown you in the pit. We should have never sold you into slavery. That should have never happened. We bow down before you, and they will. But he's going to receive them. Beautiful. And he lifted his eyes 
and saw his brother Benjamin, hasn't seen him in how long, right? His mother's son. And said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. He didn't wait for an answer. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and restrained himself and said, serve the bread. I don't feel so bad about crying in front of you people all the time now, you know? When something hits me, when you can feel God's grace, that's really the only time I cry was when I see God's grace coming out of his scripture, just pouring out of the pages. It's like, it's overwhelming to me, his beauty and his grace and his love for us. And so you get a little emotional about it when you feel that and see that. Joseph does too. So if Joseph can cry, he's number two guy in Egypt, so can I. It's all right. Beautiful love. He has a love for all of them. He has no bitterness against any of them. We're going to see that here. Not tonight, but next week. He has a love for these guys. But he shouldn't, but he does. Jesus has a love for us. He shouldn't, by our standards, but he does. He does. So they set him a place by himself. Joseph's got to sit alone. It's an interesting dynamic. Watch this. This is the table setting. He's got to sit by himself. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. So Joseph, an Egyptian, isn't sitting with the Egyptians because they know who he is. He's a Hebrew. And Egyptians can't eat with Hebrews. But they think He's an Egyptian, and so he can't eat with them, and they can't eat with him because that's defiled. So he's, he's both. He's both Egyptian, and he's both Hebrew, and he can't sit with anybody. He's completely isolated. What an amazing setting this is. How do you work this out? I'm going to sit here by myself. You Egyptians sit over there because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. It goes the other way. You'd think it'd be the Hebrews. We cannot eat with other people that we defile ourselves. Remember the Pharisees always doing that to Jesus? I can't sit down and eat with sinners or else I become one of them. Doesn't your master know he's becoming one of them when he eats with those sinners? So they don't eat with sinners, you know? Worldly. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. How does he know our age? Now, remember, these are all older guys. And, you know, you can kind of tell when you're in grade school who's in first grade and who's in sixth grade. But as you get older, everything kind of blends. We all kind of look the same age. Can't tell a 50-year-old from a 60-year-old from a 45-year-old or whatever. So when he seats them, Joseph, I want you here, you here, you here, you here. And they all sit down and they're like, this is according to birthright. They're astonished at that. How does he know? Then he took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's servings was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with him. Now, this is where we're going to spend most of the night. Sorry. I mean, I've got, this is where all my cross-references are is right here. So I've got seven minutes before I've got to be done. So hold on. Then he, because usually the last verse, everybody's like, okay, right, I'm done. <laughs> Open them back up again and get back into it, all right? What's he doing? Why five times more for Benjamin? I want to see if these boys are still jealous and envious of our family. 
of Benjamin and Joseph because Benjamin is the next loved one, the most loved. And so if anybody was hated after Joseph was gone, Benjamin was going to receive the brunt of their hatred and jealousy. So right in front of him, he says, how about I give you five times more? Let's see their faces now. How do they look at him? They look at him and go, oh, yeah, figures. He always gets the best. They didn't. The men didn't. In fact, they, they drank and were merry with him. It's okay. We're not dead. There's also some repentance there too. There's a change of heart. These guys aren't the same guys that threw me in the pit. These guys are different. They should hate Benjamin, but they don't hate Benjamin. They're treating him like, they're treating him like they should. They're treating him like a brother. They're treating him with care. They're okay with him having five times as much, five times more than they got. They're not upset about that. They're not jealous about that. They're not bitter about that. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. We know that. Most of us have memorized that verse. It's one of those nice short ones that we can say, I've memorized scripture, you know. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And there is great gain from being content with what your boss has given you, Jesus. My king has given me so much, I'm content with it. I don't look at other people and compare and try to wish I had more as much as they did or how come. I never think of it the other way. Gosh, I have so much. I should give most of it to them. No, I'm always looking up or we tend to always look up. How come they have so much and I have so little? Compared to who, you know? Luke chapter 3, verse 14, the centurions who were born again asked Jesus, what are we supposed to do? Now that we're saved, now that we're followers, now that we've trusted in you, likewise the soldiers asked him, saying, and what shall we do? So he said to them, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Just be honest, soldiers. Don't look at it as a way to extort people because that's what they would do. They got power, they got weapons, nobody else did. They're Roman, everybody else is in servitude to them. They could pretty much do what they wanted, take anything they wanted, made no difference. He says, no, no, now I just want you to be soldiers. I don't want you to be that guy that comes in and shakes down the local deli, you know? Hey, I want my 20%, you know, kind of thing. No, just be, just work. Be content with your wages. Now, here's a long one. It's a parable. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 17. We'll take some time and read through it, and then we'll close. For the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Great. That's a great day's wage. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went and again. He went out about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle. This is the end of the day. And said to them, why have you been standing there idle all day? And he said to them, because no one hired us. He said to them also, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those who came, I'm sorry, when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, those are the last guys hired, 
they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed they would receive more. And they likewise received a denarius. So they were thinking, if he gave them a denarius, man, our bonus is going to be awesome because we worked like 10 times longer than those. You get the idea. But then he hands them each a denarius. When they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, these last men have worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to, the, to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good? So the last will be first and the first last, for many are called and few are chosen. Read that a lot. We probably read that a lot. Could have finished the story without me reading it. We all know those things. And yet... Sometimes you'll find yourself in that position, much like these boys did. How come he got five times as much as me? What difference does it make? Is your plate full? Yeah. Are you hungry? Are you in prison like you thought? Are your donkey stolen from you? Are you getting accused of thievery or robbery from the last time you came down? Is Benjamin in prison? Isn't Simeon out? I mean, didn't everything work like it was supposed to? They all recognize the fact that it's okay. It's okay if Benjamin gets five times more. I don't hold bitterness against him or judge Benjamin. Why isn't Benjamin taking his portions and divvying them out to the rest of us? Some people are like that. We don't want to be like that. It's God. We work for God. We serve God. He gives us what he gives us. I'm just glad I'm saved. We all need to stay in that place, being content. If anything happens beyond our salvation, bonus. I don't expect, there's that word expectations again. I don't expect more than what he's already promised me, which is everlasting life, which is pretty good. And that's where we close tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Joseph's wisdom as he's trying to figure out and discern the hearts of his brothers. And he's seeing it. And they're having a, a good old time. They're having a, a merry time, a rejoicing time, a, a time he is distant from the table, but he's in the room at least, and there they all are. And they're all eating together like they, well, like they should have always been. But things happened. But it's over. And Joseph has forgiven them. And what a wonderful lesson for all of us, Lord. As we see this beautiful grace and mercy come from this man who should be bitter but isn't. He's full of forgiveness and grace and mercy and love, and he's showering blessings upon these men that, well, they really haven't earned it. But that doesn't make him any less beautiful. It makes him more beautiful. So God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness that you've shown us and that you show other people. Lord, I don't want anybody else to have any more punishment than I have. I want them to all know Jesus Christ. I want them to all be saved. I want them to all be in your kingdom. I want them all to have everlasting life. There isn't anybody I want excluded from that. So God, help me to rejoice when I see sinners come to repentance, when I see people who weren't walking with you, walking with you, even the ones that have wronged me. I'm your servant now. They've wronged you. And if you want to forgive them, we want to join in that and be like those good stewards and represent you correctly to them and welcome them in and show them peace and grace and mercy like you have. We love you and we thank you for your word.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen.